Welcome back to Rural Queensland today. Ben Dobbin with you this morning. The president of AgForce, since 25 years, can you believe it? What an amazing agri-political organisation it has been, uh, is this year. Georgie Somerset joins us this morning. Georgie, for the first time in 2024, great to chat. Uh, Happy New Year um, and what a year ahead. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, look, it is a great year and I always say that I stand on the shoulders of those that went before and I always think back to that leadership it took to give up three organisations that were all pretty strong, um, you know, Cattlemen's Union, Queensland Grain Growers and uh, sure. United Graziers Association and 25 years ago they had the courage and the, the foresight to do that and bring those broadacre industries together. So, it's um, yeah, it'll, it'll be great this year. We'll, we'll celebrate in plenty of ways but we're really looking forward to um, looking back and, and then, of course, the main thing is looking forward. There will be, um, obviously, a lot of celebration and, and, and you're right um, and, and you can go from there and have a look. There is a lot going on. <laughs> I don't uh, even know where to begin um, and mm. it's it, it's important that we hear from our advocacy groups just exactly where their position is on some things. We spoke a little earlier to Gavin Basket and the real concern that that he's having in, in, in a town like Winton is that you've got Leanne Linnard, the Minister for Environment and the Great Barrier Reef, um, buying up, you know, along with the resource sector, the resource minister, buying up country in that area, shutting it up to appease minority groups and to get to their targets that they're trying. Now, it all sounds great from the outside and to somebody living in Ascot or, you know, Nunda or, or, or you know, mm. Clayfield, they're happy and they're getting that because it doesn't affect them. But, Georgie, it affects us and it affects you, it affects me, it affects rural Queensland. There has yeah, to look- be a, a, a compromise on this. It can't go down this way. Well, and I think the other challenge is um, the, it's one thing to purchase these properties and, um, and you're right, it does look, you know, that it puts together a string of properties that provides a wildlife corridor and all those sorts of things. Um, but for those those properties, we also need a budget to manage them. I mean, when the, one of the things about this land is you can't just lock it up and leave it. No. Um, we've talked often about what's happened with some of the carbon projects in southwest Queensland and, and the impact that's had on towns like Kanamala where we um, we have issues with the way that, that those properties are managed, but then we've lost those families. And this is the same thing. It's exactly what you're talking about, that um, towns like Winton lose the families that were associated with those properties. And I'm also concerned for the management of pest and weeds um, on those properties and that the government, and, and I talk about the public estate because it keeps growing. and We've got both the state government and the federal government committed to growing the public estate. What is that about? That, what, what What is that about? Is that just to appease like carbon and, and wildlife corridors, and well, I, I say the woke. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I don't actually know why you choose a target like 30%. I mean, it's it's much for me, it's much more nuanced about what are the places that we need to preserve and what do we need to look after and, um, you know, the, the, where where is, um, where are the endangered species that need to be looked at, you know, and how is that best managed because often that's done in, a relationship with grazing because livestock have been part of that landscape as well, um, you know, over over thousands of years. So it's, you know, it's, it's tricky to me how they've set the targets. I don't know. But what I do get concerned about is that these 
this public estate needs to meet its general biosecurity obligations and we obviously have some quite endemic weeds in, in Western Queensland, particularly with things like prickly acacia. Sure. Um, a couple Arsenium. of these properties. When I, yeah, that's right. But if I look at places like um, Melrose and Tonkaroo, they're at the top of channel country. So you've got – you need to make sure that you're not then um, having an impact downstream. And so it's not just your neighbours um, and, and while, you know, a lot of people have exclusion fenced and those sorts of things. Not everybody is in a position to do that. Um, so it is about them, the, the government making sure that they're meeting their general biosecurity obligations. They manage their pests and weeds um, and that they put a budget with the land that they've purchased because one of my concerns when philanthropists buy up properties and we saw this happen, uh, I can't think it was last year or the year before, in North Queensland and, and North Huendon, they buy a property and they give it to the government but it doesn't come with an operating budget. And we need operating budgets to manage this land effectively. It needs to be, um, it needs to be managed. If it's not going to be grazed, it needs to be burnt. It needs to have its its weeds managed. Um, you know, there is a fire risk and a fire burden, and we've talked about that particularly with what happened last year. And so that that's also a concern. So you lose people out of the community, and you have an increased risk for those that are neighbouring it. And um, you know, we've I've called on the government for several ministers now about increasing the budget to manage uh, what I call the public estate. So whether it's national parks or um, in a state forest, what, whatever those things are, there is less that we can do to manage it. Um, we've got less state forests that have got grazing and, and forestry rights in them. Um, again, we had this incredibly sustainable, we, we do have an incredibly sustainable timber harvesting industry um, that makes sense and there's less of the country that we can do that on now with the, the way that um, the public estate's being managed. So you know, I think we need to, really maintain that pressure on the government to manage these properties well if they're going to keep doing this sort of thing to our communities. I don't think they should be doing it to the communities. Um, I really don't. I think that, you know, it's one thing to buy them, but there's got to be a lease back thing with with a long-term lease and and some real plans in place. Yeah, I think it's a two-year phase-out. Yeah, Mm. two-year phase-out and then then what happens? Um, Mm. It leads me to the next thing about the – the absolute, oh, I don't even know, like they're, they're, all they are trying to do at the moment is talk renewables. And that's, and look, mate, people are drinking the Kool-Aid. I understand that there has to be some renewables, but, but the laws which they are working under, Georgie, you as a grazier, I understand that everybody, you know, is looking for another way to earn, but... They are alluring mm. to themselves at the moment, and it's not even it's not even billing. You can get a wind yeah. farm up, you can get anything up you want, but if you dare go and touch a tree as a grazier, you, you're a criminal. It, it, it is mm. fundamentally wrong. And and I think that um, again, you know, we've got a whole lot of biosecurity risks and those sorts of things. But I um, look, you know, in AgForce made a, a presentation to the Transport and Resources Committee this week, and one of the things that we Called for and we've been calling for for some time is is a code, um, an enforceable code of conduct because we don't have that. The resources sector actually, that there is a way that they have to do it. We have recourse um, through the land courts. We have um, a way of holding resources sectors, so both you know mining and gas, to account because it's a it's a very governed. I guess it's an old industry. So what we have is a very new industry. Um, it's raced ahead of legislation. We don't have an enforceable. Yes, yes, there's guidelines and the QFF have done a great booklet, um, but none of that's enforceable. Um, 
so they they actually don't have to. We also don't have um, land where we've said actually this is not suitable for say solar farms. I mean, there's some coexistence that does seem to be um, working in certainly in other states with um, cropping and grazing and, and turbines, but um, the the interruption in, in the interim is something to be dealt with, and, and there's a larger community impact, I think. But they've, they've done the renewable energy zones, um, but they haven't actually considered the agricultural land in those renewable energy zones. So uh, I'm not aware that there's any way where they're, where they're sort of saying, well, actually, no, you can't build a solar farm there because that's prime that's, cropping land. Yeah. Um, and these are commercial arrangements. So what, what we have, we don't have a master plan and, um, you know, we spoken to the, the Premier, the new Premier about this as well, that there is a need for a master plan. So we have these renewable energy zones. We have different things happening in different parts of the states. We have state development doing regional plans. I don't think anyone actually knows all of the development that's going on or the conversations that are going on across the state because they're going on, company, you know, business to business. So the, these companies are coming out and talking to agricultural businesses and families and doing them one-on-one. Um, and some of that goes through local government. If it's a solar farm, the wind farms go through the state government um, because of the size of them. So it's, you know, I can't tell you how much um, development is planned because we can't see a plan for it. Yeah, it, it, it's a real worry. Uh, that would be your biggest biggest concern at the moment, no doubt. Well, look, land use is because I think, you know, we can't we can't make more land. We have to make sure we've got um, land use protection and in terms of – and, you know, we've got some principles at AgForce around that, that we have to recognise that natural capital has got an inherent value, that human health and wellbeing, you know, can't be sacrificed and we have to take a precautionary approach sure. that avoids negative legacy effects on natural resources. That's the big thing. We have to be precautionary about this because we can't always make good. Um, you know that you have to make sure there's no negative impacts on the existing or future sustainable agriculture. That's they're sort of for me they're non-negotiables around how we juggle this land use, and we have to be really careful. We don't just um, allow a commercial industry in renewables just come in and run over the top of um, an existing industry that will still be there in you know, hundreds of years. In a lot of ways, um, this feels like the gas industry back early. You know, and look. They've come to now get to a place where everybody's happy-ish, but it's mm. early on. It was, mate. They signed off, and then you know it was Rafferty's rules, and some people won out of it. Some people yeah. didn't. I, I, I am concerned that this is very much so another two thousand and six, two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight situation. Yeah, look, I think you know we don't. We don't have from renewables um, an enforceable good neighbour policy. We need a framework. Um, you know, as I said, there's biosecurity risks. There are certainly, um, I understand the comparison with the gas, but if I look at something like wind turbines, they actually have a broader community impact because of their size. No, because of the size and the noise, yeah. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. yeah. I'm so, with you. So, um, you know, so I'm conscious that, that you're right, there's, there can be winners and losers in communities, and, and our communities are very tight-knit. Um, they've actually been running a pretty green industry for a long time called agriculture. And, you know, there's, there's extraordinary development going on um, at a rapid pace. And I think that there's a real need for us to have some transparency about just how big that um, that plan is and, and where it is. And, and we also have the transmission lines that need to go with this. And I guess I, um, 
I hear about development of different transmission lines and I think you know, it doesn't matter what agricultural industry it is, whether it's grazing or cropping, um, it's still someone's land and home and farm and there needs to be respect for how they're treated in the development oh, 100%. of 100%. You couldn't do it. You wouldn't do it. You wouldn't get away with it in, in the city. Somebody wanted to build a, if somebody wanted to build something in the city, you know, goes to council, they just, no, it doesn't fit in with them. You know, so this, yeah. is the, this is the issue that I have. Georgie, I and have to go. call to you, state yeah. land as well. Yeah. Thanks, Ben. Good Appreciate on you. it. We'll talk again shortly. Thanks so much for being with us. Have a great Wednesday, hey? Already one month down, you a too. big year ahead. Uh, Georgie Somerset, the president of Ag Force. Um, we'll take a break, come back with more. This is Rural Queensland today.